Welcome. Good morning. Um, if you don't know me, if you weren't here last week, I'm Shannon. I'm the executive pastor here at Northview. Uh, filling in for Steve while he is on his sabbatical this summer. Uh, so I'm just doing the month of June, and then we have some great speakers, uh, including Jan Hedega, coming up in the month of July. So looking forward to that. Um, a little bit about me, um, off script just a little bit. Uh, if you don't know me or my story, uh, I came to Northview after really being absent from church my entire life. Uh, we, we dabbled in college in, in church. I grew up in a believing household, but it wasn't something that we did in being part of an organized body. And uh, I took my parents' issues on me and didn't want to be part of church and it became very, very easy to not uh, have responsibility towards others uh, or my responsibility towards God in, in the way that he was calling me to be part of a church. Um, long story, fast forward, God worked some amazing things in my life and in my heart um, to draw me into Northview uh, as really the first church home that I ever had. And um, even more so when I came on staff, uh, because it is something that I, in my head, have said I never wanted to be part of a church, and I did not want to be part of working for a church. Um, there's a lot of responsibility there. There's, there are things that I didn't want to own uh, for myself. Um, I hate speaking in front of groups. Um, that is one of those things that is it's a stretch for me. Uh, now, over time, I've grown to enjoy it, uh, and, and I have to look at you guys all like kids because that makes it easier for me. Um, so I imagine the five-year-old Dean, um, he's, he's probably a brat, but I can deal with that. It would also explain the nose-picking. But, um, <clears throat> sorry, man, I'm starting it off bad. So I, I never wanted the responsibility of, of being part of a church, of speaking. That and I, one of my favorite phrases in college was, hell is other people. Um, because other people have junk that I just don't want to have to deal with. Um, if I was God, I would be snickering in heaven and saying, <laughs> I got that guy. Not only is he part of a church, he's speaking up front on relationships and neighboring. Sometimes you look back and you think, how in the world did that happen? So I, I say that because I want you to understand that um, what I do is out of obedience and love for God, not because it is any sort of gifting of mine. God has built some things into me that I can hopefully share with you, um, mostly out of my weakness. So I, I hope if you come from the same place that that's encouraging to you. So that was just a little bit about me. Uh, if you missed last week, uh, you can go on the website and check out uh, last week's message. Um, this week we are talking about uh, the fences between us. Uh, and we have some fences right here. Um, last week we talked about who is my neighbor and looked at the story of the Good Samaritan from a little bit different perspective. And really it boils down to our, our, our idea of neighboring through this series is we understand that Samaritan was called to minister to a man, to help a man that was completely opposite from him and somebody that he may not ever rub shoulders with otherwise. Um, and that we called graduate level neighboring. 
And so we said, let's take that back for a second, take that back in, and what if, what if the who's my neighbor question that the expert in the law asked of Jesus, what if that was, the answer was, well, your neighbor is also your next door neighbor, the person that lives right next to you. So we've, we're taking a look at who is my neighbor from that idea of the neighbors around me, the people directly surrounding my house. Um, what am I doing to be neighborly and neighboring those people? All right. We had an awesome object lesson yesterday. Uh, again, we're talking about the fences between us, the, the, the things that divide us from our neighbors. Um, and we worked yesterday uh, with our Go project. A whole team of people came out uh, to work on this yard with the intention of taking down his fence. Um, I don't think we planned it that way, but it certainly worked out in an amazing way to, to mirror our, our message today. We met at Steve Stoffer's house. It is literally a jungle. It was literally a jungle. And uh, uh, Dean had gone out earlier in the week to scout it out and set some plans in place. And he called me and said, this is way bigger than we even thought from the pictures. This is, we may not get this done if we don't, don't pare it down to just taking down the fence. We had an awesome crew that came out yesterday. And in four hours... We found a shed that I didn't know was there. <laughs> Took down the fence, every, every bit of vegetation that was there, it was unbelievable. Um, and some of us are in unbelievable pain this morning too. Um, but I wanna thank everybody who did come out, the, the Go Project team. Um, we had quite a crew. That's not even everybody. That's everybody that was there at the moment that we took the picture. But uh, uh, we had a fantastic group. And I would encourage you, as we move forward with our monthly Go projects, and we will have one rolling out next week for July, um, this is a, not only a fantastic place to serve our neighbors um, and those around us in our community, but really to build some amazing relationship with the people that we may not even know in the, the seats near us. So um, I would encourage you towards that. Uh, watch for the announcements on the July Go Project coming up soon. All right. Um, before we get going any further, would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, thanks for bringing us all here today. Uh, in the way that you do, with whatever baggage we carry, um, Lord, we know that uh, for some of us, uh, we've had a week of encouragement. For some of us, we'd have had a tough week. And uh, we want to set all that aside um, not forget it, um, because we know that you're in those things, but also um, really just focus on you and your word today and how we can incorporate it into our lives. Would you just uh, move me out of the way today um, and may make my words your words? Um, would you remove my pride, my own uh, selfish ambition, and uh, speak what you need to speak to each one of us today? We thank you so much for being here, uh, present among us. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so last week, uh, in sharing the message of the Good Samaritan, um, I mentioned some barriers to action that, that that Samaritan man may have faced in stepping over and helping the wounded gentleman. Um, and most of those we would consider completely rational barriers. Even some of the some of them we may use to rationalize how, how we may not want to necessarily act. Now, 
I would say a lot of these are legitimate, legitimate barriers, um, but they are things that God has called us past. So we'll run through these really quick. Uh, I mentioned safety. Uh, particularly in that situation, there were the, the, the threat of robbers and thieves and um, bad guys coming and actually doing physical harm if he stopped to help. Uh, when we're talking about neighboring, getting to know those around us, we don't always all live in wonderful, happy, perfect world neighborhoods. Uh, and there are people we don't even know their baggage and where they come from right next door. Uh, when we, we did a little bit of a, a training on uh, the book, Art of Neighboring, with the authors over at uh, North Shore Baptist uh, a little while back, um, one woman shared her story about how she was in a really bad neighborhood, and as a single gal trying to get to know her neighbors, safety is a real barrier for her. Um, again, we, that's, that's legitimate, um, and we need to understand how we can, how we can cooperate with God to overcome that, that safety issue. Uh, it's a real thing. The cost, both monetarily and in other areas of our life, there is a genuine cost to being neighborly. The culture, uh, I mentioned my Chinese neighbors. Uh, I've tried to speak with them on occasion. Uh, actually, the, the wife um, is very, a very nice person. I don't understand a word she says. Um, she actually really only speaks in Chinese. Um, that's a barrier that is very, very difficult to overcome. Um, and one that I've used as an excuse to not even reach out and get to know her. Uh, but there's another cultural issue in that um, our other neighbors, uh, a guy named Jeff, um, great guy, nice guy. I told you I met him a Friday back, um, not that long ago. Um, but they'll sit out on their deck, which overlooks our house, and um, party it up, smoke pot. That is a different culture for me in trying to enter into that and be able to offer what I can and communicate with with those people, it's a different world. Uh, they see things very, very differently from me. So it may not just, just be an ethnic culture. It may be, even within our society, a different way of looking at things and doing things apart from God. Um, another barrier, fear and self. Um, I kind of lump these together because I think a lot of our fears, even though they're legitimate, they tend to be more self-focused in nature. We're going to touch on that in a little bit, too. Um, so I'm going to kind of skip over it and talk a little bit more about time. Um, John Ortberg uh, is an author and pastor, and uh, he has this quote that, that I think is wonderful for the, uh, for the topic. It says, love and hurry are fundamentally incompatible. Love always takes time, and time is the one thing hurried people don't have. Um, we pack our lives. We talked about this last week. We pack our lives with stuff. Uh, and a lot of those things are good things. Uh, the authors in the book talk about how important sports is to their family and their kids. And if they're investing in their kids, they're investing in sports heavily. And that time takes a giant sliver of their entire 24 hours. And it, it has grown to proportions that squeeze out other things that God says are important. Um, and we rationalize this with this idea of quality time. I don't know if you've heard of quality time, but um, 
when I started in um, the children, field of children at the Boys and Girls Club, um, we would see, receive a lot of training. And one of the things going around at the time, it was the big buzzword was, hey, spend quality time with your kids. And it's really kind of an excuse to be able to say, I don't have the time for them, so I'm going to make up something really cool to do to wow them and, sh- and make them forget that, that I didn't really spend a lot of time with them. So you, you take your kid on this amazing trip to the zoo. Um, and that's fantastic. There's nothing wrong with that. But what they found in actual studies was that quality time is a myth, that as far as relationships are concerned, it's not about quality time because let's face it even half the time at quality time it kind of blows up and doesn't turn into that great a quality Um, but it's quantity time that it doesn't matter what you're doing spending time with your kids or your family or your neighbors is the most important thing to building and developing relationship that time is the biggest factor and if all we ever are is hurried um, that sends a message to people that maybe I don't really care about them or really don't love them in the way that that they want to be loved. We're going to dive into some scripture here. Um, Interestingly, to the next story, right after the story of the Good Samaritan, um, we leave the context of Jesus explaining what neighboring looks like to this expert in the law. Uh, And in Luke 10.38, we read this story. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had been made, or had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister's left, all the, left me to do all the work myself? Tell her to help me. And Jesus responds to her, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, You're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. And in that story, we see that that time issue really um, fleshed out. That even while Martha is actually actively serving Jesus, she's there with him, she's in the home, she's doing things for his direct benefit in making preparations for meal and, and lodging and all of the things that are so important in that culture, the hospitality that she would, that, that was essential. She was intent on serving, and yet Jesus kind of calls her out when she makes an issue of it because there was something even more important than just the doing, just the serving. Don't get me wrong, serving is important, but there was another step, and that is actually engaging with Jesus himself. Now, I'm one of the folks that would do this. Um, We've gone down to uh, Lisa's house, and they have big family gatherings. They have um, uh, family reunions, or we were down there for several memorials. And I got to be honest, I'm not really all that excited about the small talk. I don't, her family's kind of (laughs) crazy. Sorry if any of them are listening to this recording. Um, but they've got issues. I don't... We all do, but theirs are on the more extreme side. Um, so I find comfort in going and serving the family, which I make an excuse of. I'm actually actively engaged, 
washing all the dishes from the meal that they just had. And that's a wonderful thing. And I know her mom really appreciates it because it's not something that she enjoys. Um, but it's, it's not because I love them so much that I want to serve them. It's because I don't want to have to deal with them that I'm serving them. Does that make any sense at all? Um, sorry, you're entering into the messed up. This message is all about the messed up Shannon brain. So I, um, I'm sorry about that. But um, that's what I do as a place of comfort because I can do with my hands and I don't have to relate on a personal level at all. Um, and I think that that's what's going on here with, with Mary and Martha, um, at least in some small bit. Martha is more concerned about the stuff to get done, and even to the, to the extent of trying to drag Jesus in and, and back her up on this, and it's not about stuff. It's not about the job to do. It's about relationship. Uh, the story reminds me a lot of the story of Cain and Abel as well, and why um, Cain's offering to God uh, back in the Garden of Eden was not right and why Abel's was and it created a tremendous amount of jealousy and that's that that Abel was focused on God's heart and on offering him what God wanted and Cain was more focused on what he had to do. So um, that idea of time is an important one played out in this as well in that um, there's only a, so much time to get stuff done and there is a place where we need to be able to say, you know what, I'm going to set that aside and actually be present and, and be active here, um, engaged in relationship more than I'm engaged in stuff. So I, I guess as a takeaway for that, um, I would say for us, I, I think we need to pray about uh, a change in our priorities and um, relate specifically with that time and heart issue stuff that, um, you know, let's analyze what do I have going on and is it really the thing that God thinks is the most important? Now, it's not, it's not my job to convict anybody and I'm not here to do that. Um, but I know just in reevaluating, okay, what does God say is important? We've talked about the, the commandments that are most important to him. The teacher of the law, that expert of the law laid it out perfectly. He said, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. He had it. And we took that one step further, and even Paul tells us all of the law boils down to that one thing, love your neighbor as yourself. If that's what God says all of the law and scripture boils down to, we should probably weigh that a little bit more seriously in our thinking as we prioritize the events of our days, the time that we spend in doing things. Um, again, family is important, and we don't want to take anything away from that. God is important. We have to have a relationship with him. Um, but somewhere that, that neighboring aspect, that, that how are we going to treat our actual neighbors has to factor in there. All right. I mentioned that I am an introvert. I may have. If I didn't, I meant to because it was up here and I thought about it a lot this week. Um, so in my understanding of being an introvert, um, it is not a, a lack of desire for relationships. Uh, it really is, tends to be more what fills me up, what gives me energy, what gives me strength, where, where do I get recharged at? Um, that's a little bit different maybe than what 
other people view introversion as. But um, I pull back from other people because that's my comfort zone. And that's where I get, I get energy. I get filled up. So I get exhausted by being an extrovert. Uh, I heard somebody coin the term professional extrovert. And that's actually what I am. Because uh, I really enjoy the relationships here at church with people that I meet. Um, I- I'm fully engaged, usually. Um, we'll get to that in a second Um, but that's exhausting and at the end of the day I go home and I'm like man I talked to five people today that sounds like that sounds like hardly any but that exhausts me and I need to spend some time just away from that to be refreshed and re-energized I don't know the extroverted point of view because that's not me but I have heard that, that especially with somebody like Steve Mitchell's uh, Pastor Steve, he is completely energized by people. And so this idea of sabbatical for him has always been a tough one, um, and particularly the time he spent up in, uh, at the cabin this, these past two weeks is, I don't have anybody to be around. Um, how am I going to get built up and recharged? And uh, that's been a particular difficulty with he and Pam in going to Africa, knowing that Steve's way of engaging is all in for people, and Pam's may not be that way. And so how do you balance those two things to refresh both of them? So that's my understanding of how I work as an introvert. I'm a professional extrovert because I have to as my profession, and I know how to put on these things, but I'm actually an introvert that I want to, I want to pull away and refresh myself. So when I, when I default, my default is always going to be for myself and pulling away. All right, so lessons learned as an introvert. Um, I discovered very, very early on that I'm really bad at communicating. And you're thinking, yeah, obviously. Um, I hope you're not saying that. But it's true. Um, most of the time as a, a kid, I had my, my circle of comfort, my family, Beyond that, I didn't do a whole lot of communicating at all with other people. Um, I wasn't, not only wasn't good at it, but I just, I couldn't do it. And so in a situation where other people are conversing and, and, and chatting and get to know each other, I'd be silent. And for a kid, that ends up putting you at the lunch table all by yourself where everybody else is congregating because you don't even know how to interact. I'm just bad at communication. Um, to illustrate the point, and this didn't just stop when I was younger uh, and grow out of it. To illustrate the point, um, when we first got married, um, I was still trying to work out how to effectively communicate with other people, even those close to me. And Lisa's parents had come up, and I don't know if this all happened on the same weekend. It wouldn't surprise me if it did. But um, her dad is a massive man. He was big, big shouldered, about my height, and probably twice as big as me, um, but not in a, an unhealthy way. He was, he was kind of scary, and he knew it, and he knew how to use that to his advantage. Um, just what you don't want in a, in a father-in-law. Um, just to uh, show you the, the beginnings of our relationship, um, we had only known, known each other a little bit when I went down to ask her parents for her hand in marriage and uh, 
we sat down in the living room together, and I'm sure that they knew what was up. And, and I said, you know, I'd, I'd really like your blessing in, in um, asking Lisa to marry me. And her dad's answer was um, <laughs> classic. He said, it's not like I can stop you. <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry. He said, it's not like I can say no. Um, so th- that was our relationship. Um, fast forward, they came up to visit, and I'm trying to make small talk, and and it, I just don't do that well. Uh, and we were walking somebody, and we had one of those big golf umbrellas. And again, trying to make some sort of connection, I said, um, boy, that umbrella is big enough to fit a small family under. And he turned and looked at me and said, are you saying I'm as big as a small family? (laughs) No, yes, no, yes. (laughs) Not long after, um, Lisa's mom was wearing a uh, a sweater, an Angora sweater. And it it was incredibly fuzzy, uh, really soft. And um, again, in trying to just acknowledge the things around it that I could comment on and, and feel like I was participating in conversation, I said, boy, that sweater makes it really hard to look at you. <laughs> it just, it gave her a diffused edge, like she didn't, she did her, there was no line, it just flowed from her to the background. It was that trip that they started calling me their former son-in-law. <laughs> and those are funny. And, and they actually took it in, in stride. And, and in any, if anything, it actually helped bolster our relationship because they knew, man, we don't have to worry about this guy trying to usurp our place. Um, <laughs> he can't even speak a sentence. Um, I, uh, I went to Washington Business Week uh, when I was a senior in high school. And it was a fantastic week where they take you uh, to Central Washington University and you get to work on just business stuff. I thought, man, it'd be great to be a business owner someday. And they paired me with a roommate. I didn't have any experience with other people in this kind of arena. And again, I'm trying to to find connection and find things that that we might have in common that I could talk about. And I, I met my real roommate and he had a lazy eye, a different sort of an eye. Now, there are ways to go about stuff that you can talk about each other's weaknesses and you can talk, talk about each other's intimate issues. I didn't know that. And I said, hey, what's wrong with your eye? Now, um, we, went, we, we ended up going to the same college and I saw him almost daily after that. And it was from that moment on, I had no relationship with him other than a hi, how are you? even though we were roommates at this week, and it could have been fantastic because I didn't understand that that was a wounded place for him, and I didn't even know how to express them in, in the right kind of way. So all that to say, I'm bad at communication. And I don't know if that resonates with any of you. I'm sure we have people in this room that are stellar communicators. I, I know some of you, um, and you're like, I don't even get that. But those of you that might, this may resonate with, I hope you can at least identify. We now have something to talk about. <laughs> um, so oftentimes, I would sit and, and talk with people, and I stopped communicating myself. Um, 
but I would still try and build those relationships because I was lonely and I didn't want to be isolated. Um, and as I sat there in, in conversing with people, I realized I don't know what I have to offer. I don't even know how to talk to this person. I don't know how to give answers or suggestions. Most of the time they weren't even asking for them, but like, I don't really even know what to say here. Um, this even happens now where people are laying something on you and you're like, okay, what? I don't know, want, really want to deal with this, but I don't know how to even respond in a way. Um, and so I would kind of just sit in silence and I, I, I didn't know what else to do. And people kept going and people would come to me and do it more. What is happening here? Um, one of my favorite people to talk to is um, uh, Lori Peacock. Lori Peacock is an active listener, and I've noticed that Lori Peacock does one particular thing, and I, I, I may do it as well. It's kind of unconscious, but when you're talking to her, she nods her head. She's right there with you, um, and I think I kind of do that, and I think that encourages people to keep going and telling me stuff. Um, but again, I don't know what to say, so oftentimes I'll sit there and, and pray, and my my prayer may look like. God, please make them stop. <laughs> but I've tried to get away from that, and more often than not, it's God help me to know how to even respond in this. So I don't know what to offer. And then um, this is a, uh, a term that Steve Mitchell uses quite a bit is perception filters. Um, and I discovered that in sitting through kind of some of these things and, and, and working through stuff with people um, and getting to know people better, do, developing relationship, that I, I, I needed to understand my own perception filters. And by perception filters, I mean the, thi- the things that I've kind of created my personality with that I interpret the world through. So uh, my experiences, right? My history, my background that maybe I didn't even have a part in that my parents <laughs> built into me. Um, the wounds that I've suffered over the years. Um, uh, understanding my own relational ability and how I communicate. All of these things create kind of this veneer that we communicate through. So when I'm communicating with somebody, I recognize, okay, I'm, I'm getting all of their information through my perception filters, right? The things that, that, that help me understand the world that I live in and the people that I live with. Um, but it was more than just understanding my own because I, I began to understand and, and see what, what it was that was creating some of these communication gaps with me is I just didn't get stuff that they were communicating to me. It wasn't just understanding my own perception filters, but it, it was a need to understand other people's perception filters as well. That It didn't just stop with me. That didn't fix the communication because I knew that I was an introvert. Uh, that didn't help everything because I, I was only dealing with me, I need to understand what theirs are too. And that really only happens through time spent, through experience with that person, through communication and conversation, and you begin to understand what those things are. But I, I learned to be on the lookout for those perception filters. And once I did that, it really helped me to understand that I needed to live life on their turf, really step out from behind my fence and my barriers 
and not just relate everything the way, the way I take it, but step out from behind that and live life where they're at. Okay? I understand their filters. Now I know how to frame a conversation uh, in a way that they'll understand what I'm saying. Um, my wife does this very well um, in some of her professional responsibilities. She used to be an elder care worker, a social worker at a nursing home. And she dealt with a lot of dementia patients. And there was one gentleman in particular that she told me about needed to be transported. Um, and so they actually hired a taxi, transport this gentleman. Uh, and she had to go with him to get him set up at the next place that she was going. Um, but he was completely gone. He had no perception of reality. Um, was he the one that believed he was Jesus? He believed he was Jesus. And so often, I see this with, with other folks that deal with parents or relatives that have dementia or their minds start failing, is this need to correct them. And I, wanna, I want you to understand the world the way it is, the right way, my way. And that doesn't work to communicate with somebody like that. So she had to, on this taxi ride, talk to Jesus a little bit and, and actually talk to him as if he was that, because that was his reality. Um, join him in his world, and they could converse all they wanted. Um, and it was a healthy dynamic. Weird, but a healthy dynamic. The taxi driver probably didn't know what was going on. <laughs> but we got to live life on their turf, not just on ours. Um, we got to take that fence down and step into their yard. I think this is a good place to talk momentarily about the Holy Spirit. Um, I told you I'm an introvert. I need to be alone to be refreshed. The only place that ha- that happens for me where I can think is in the shower. Nobody else is in there with me at the time. Um, and I-, I was I was in the shower the other day and, and thinking of and kind of mulling kind of all this stuff and you know how to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. That's a phrase that I really like to use a lot: is cooperate with the Holy Spirit. He's already doing stuff. How do I how do I work with that and not against that? Um, and it occurred to me um, that the Holy Spirit is, in, its, in and of himself, is relational in nature. Um, that he is the one that de- helps us to develop relationship. Um, and it takes cooperation to um, fill that relational gap that we have. So just a really quick lesson on the Holy Spirit. We're just going to breeze through this in case this is catching you. Like, what's he talking about, the Holy Spirit? Um, John 14.6 um, explains to us that the Holy Spirit is a gift that resides in us. If we've given our life to Jesus, if we've accepted him, Jesus automatically gives us this gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity of, of who God is. Um, the three-part God. Is this... This is about the nose-picking thing, isn't it? Sorry, man. Um, so the Holy Spirit is a free gift. You've, you've got it. If, you, if you've accepted Christ, you've surrendered your life to him, you're following him, you have the Holy Spirit. Free gift already in you. Resides with you, works with you. Acts 2.38, uh, 2.38 reinforces that. Uh, it's a gift given for repentance and for belief in Christ. 
John 14, 26, and you're welcome to look all these up yourself. Um, I won't go through the scriptures. It would just take too much time. But um, John 14, 26 uh, deals with the Spirit's role of teaching and understanding for us. We, we learn and understand the words in Scripture and the words that Jesus has said through the Holy Spirit. John 16, 28, uh, one of the Holy Spirit's roles is to convict us. Not my job, not your job, the Holy Spirit's job, to, to bring conviction of sin. Acts 1.8, um, is, he's also there to help us, give us the power to preach and share the gospel. Um, and, and I think all of these things together bring us into the relational nature of the Holy Spirit. Um, and where it really hit me was uh, when you look at uh, Galatians 5 and the fruit of the Spirit. If you look at the fruit of the Spirit, um, so often we take some of the bits and pieces and we try to build a structure around them, right? Um, namely, self-control. Self-control is um, a big one where we say, okay, I've got to structure this out so that I am controlled and measured in how I approach the world. Um, but as we look through the elements of the, Holy, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit being the evidence that you have the Spirit in you and you're cooperating with Him, it's all relational terms. These aren't structure or organizational terms. It's love, joy, peace. Patience. These are all things that we have to have to be able to even interact with our spouse and our kids and our neighbors. They're all relational terms. These aren't structured theological terms. The fruit of the Spirit is not a right theological outlook. It's those things that are relational in nature. And once I understood that, I was like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. I don't this doesn't mean I have more to do here. This actually means if I just cooperate with the Holy Spirit, if, I, if those nudges and those opportunities he gives me, if I, if I cooperate with him and I, I respond to that conviction of sin, and I don't even have to do anything. He's going to bring about the things that are going to help me in relationships. He's going to give me love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. I get those as a byproduct of having him there. It's not even a to-do. I just have to cooperate with him, and I become more relational in my outlook as I become more like Jesus. That was a really, really cool epiphany for me. Um, we just need to cooperate. So these are, these are my, uh, my tips, the pieces I use in cooperating with the Holy Spirit. Um, and these are born out through years of ministry in children's, Specifically, because I think the things that apply to kids that I did because I was trained that way and because I understood them through, through Scripture, they directly apply to everybody else. And I never saw that before. Uh, but these are the things that, that we're asking as part of neighboring. Know their name. Um, I don't know if you were with us last week, but we handed out a magnet, one to each family. If you missed last week, I have more of these on a table in the back. Grab one as you go, one per family. Um, and this was designed for you to, to help you get to know, or give you an encouragement, to get to know the names of your neighbors. Put it up on your fridge, and you're the house in the center, all those neighbors around you. Can you write their name on this? If you don't know it, I guarantee God's going to give you an opportunity to get to know it. Um, he's going to bring chances for you to connect with your neighbors in that way. So if you don't know their name, get to know their name. 
I mentioned last week, don't go through their mail. That's not a legitimate way of doing that. Okay? <clears throat> to know their name. It makes life personal when you know their name. Find their interests. Um, with a boy or a girl, oh, I was going to tell you about uh, just a quick story about how I remember names. I, I'm terrible at names. Really awful. And um, there was one episode that really helped me understand how I can put some pieces in place to help remember them. And um, uh, there was a girl that came in. It was a name tag Sunday, and she had a, a, written, a handwritten name tag on her chest. And um, as I was going around the room, I, I noticed hers, and I, I, I went to call on her and saw that her name was Saran. I was like, Saran? That's a cool name. Is that like the wrap? You know, the plastic? She's like, no, it's Sarah. I'm like, oh, the, the H didn't go all the way up. <laughs> but if I can associate something odd and weird with a name, oh, I've got it. Um, and so I do that. I'll actually make up a weird name for a kid that's similar to theirs. And for some crazy reason, that actually helps me remember their real name. Odd, I know, but it works. And it worked for me. Um, find their interest. What kinds of things interest and capture them? Uh, as a kid speaks, I know that there are certain things that are common to kids that I can engage them on um, and find out what specifically what things that they're interested in. And then I join them in their world. It's part of that stepping outside of our fence and into theirs. So often I see in conversation... Um, it is a, almost a competition of sharing stories. Um, and, and I know that in large part that's done because you want to be able to relate to somebody. Somebody tells you a story about their dog. Oh, that reminds me of a story about my dog. I want to tell you about it. But in doing that, every time we do, we're this wrestling match across the fence trying to pull it back to my side. And when I join them in their world, I just go with their stuff and I leave it there. I don't take it back. I don't bring that conversation back to me. If you've ever had this, this happen to you, I kind of find it irritating when somebody keeps just talking about themselves. Um, that doesn't work very well in dating, and it doesn't work very well in, in uh, relationships with your neighbors either. So join them in their world. Um, and then you've got to actually, actually listen to what they're saying. Um, the marriage series I talked about last week that Paul Tripp did, he has a little bit in his videos where um, he has a husband and wife interacting. And the husband has learned very well how to respond in a way that keeps his wife feeling like he's engaged. And um, she's talking, talking, talking about uh, this lunch that she had with seven of her friends, recounting every detail about what each person said. The man wants to die. Um, and so he's sitting there, and all he hears is blah, 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 blah. And it, he knows my job is to pretend to pay attention. So I say, uh-huh. Oh, okay. So how did that make you feel? And she goes even more. Oh, he's not even listening. And he knows the responses to give. Um, so what happened then? And he's checked out because he doesn't really care about what's going on. We can't fake this stuff. You actually do have to have an interest in what somebody else is talking about. And if at some point you realize, man, I'm totally checked out in this conversation. I'm really just thinking about what I'm doing later this afternoon. That's kind of a self-focus. That's kind of the wrong emphasis that, that even God says, you know, that's not right. We want to be other-focused. So let's set that aside and join them 
where they are actually actively listen to them. And one way to, to actively listen is to try and figure out what questions to ask them about what they're telling you. Ask relevant questions. Um, for my neighbor, um, I've always kind of wondered. We have a lot of shirts screened here for VBS and some of our camps. I've always wondered how T-shirt screening goes. I found out that he just bought a T-shirt screening business. And so I asked him, I, I've always wondered, how do they make the silk screens? I got this lengthy explanation that I probably couldn't repeat to you, but was actually pretty fascinating um, because it was something that tied in with stuff that, that I did. But I didn't tell him, hey, let me tell you about all the shirts that I make. Instead, I said, how do, how do you make a silk screen? How does that work? Oh, I've got a little added bit that I can use in uh, Jeopardy when we're watching that. <laughs> or, um, but I've also engaged with him on his turf. Ask relevant questions. Um, I just got a couple quick points to wrap up uh, while these guys are just getting set up. Um, the, the magnet challenge that we gave, um, I'm just going to re- renew the elements of the magnet challenge with you. Um, if you did not get one, grab one on the way out for your family, put it up on your fridge somewhere you're going to see it every day, and just let it be a reminder to you to get the names of those people around you. Actually write them on the magnet. And if you get, get through that, You've, um, you've learned their name. Um, engage in a uh, listening conversation with them. Uh, and I'd love to hear um, about your fences. I'm sorry, yeah, about your fences, where your fences are, where your perception filters are. Um, remember where those may be. Overcome those. Engage in those listening conversations. And then tell us, what did you learn about them? Did you learn the facts? Because we also talked about listing some facts about our neighbors. Um, but then that third step was taking even a bit deeper and learning um, what are their hopes and dreams. Um, and to me, that's the place of real relationship as we go from stranger to acquaintance to relationship um, is digging in on that level. Um, again, this isn't a checklist. This is a um, prompting of the Holy Spirit that we get to cooperate with. So um, I would just say, taking it back to the story of Mary and Martha, identify your obstacles and your priorities um, and, and reevaluate some of those things based on what Scripture says should be the most important. All right, we're way past time. Would you pray with me and then we'll uh, uh, worship once more. Lord, as, uh, as we wrap up, we recognize that there isn't really a whole lot of difference between our church and our homes and our families um, and, and the ones that are around us every day. Um, in our neighborhoods, except for just one thing, and that's that we have you. We, we have you to cling to, and in your grace and in your goodness, you give us hope and purpose. And uh, Lord, we just ask that we would be able to cooperate with the promptings of your spirit uh, to meet the needs of the poor and powerless that we come into contact with. Um, not for our own greatness, Lord, but for your kingdom. Um, God, you are holy and worthy of praise and uh, Lord, we just pray that our obedience in this area of neighboring would show our love for you. We thank you for being with us and walking through this with us. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.